The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. Whether you are struggling in your personal life or simply want to learn how to understand and use your mind to live your best life, this podcast will provide you with practical and scientific tips and tools to help you take back control over your mental, emotional, and physical health. Our guest today is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 1980s, she has researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change, which is neuroplasticity, with directed mind input. During her years in clinical practice and her work with thousands of underprivileged teachers and students in her home country of South Africa and in the USA, she developed her theory called the geodesic information processing theory of how we think, build memory, and learn into tools and processes that have transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals with traumatic brain injury, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, ADD, ADHD, autism, dementias, and anxiety and depression. She has helped hundreds of thousands of students and adults learn how to use their mind to detox and grow their brain to succeed in every area of their lives, including school and the workplace. She is also the best-selling author of Switch On Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and many more. Please help me welcome Dr. Caroline Leaf to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I am so excited. I um, The way I found you was your book, Switch on Your Brain. It kept getting suggested to me and I ended up, um, you know, 
getting it for myself, but then I gave it out to pretty much everyone for Christmas last year. So I'm so excited to have this talk today. And I have so many questions for you, mostly around trauma and the brain. Um, Most of us know that the different trauma responses are fight, flight, and freeze. Is is that the three, right? And there's fawn is the fourth one. There's actually six, but generally we talk about the main one. Okay. Yeah. I'm only familiar with those three. Um, I'm, I wanted to ask how we can manage them in the moment using self-regulation and mind management techniques. I know the, the one that I tend to um, fall on is the flight. Well, that's, um, that's an excellent question. And it's a good place to start because your uh, trauma responses are essentially signals and they mm-hmm. signal category, they, they, they category signals. So let me explain it like this. When we have, um, uh, when we have a trauma experience it's processed into the brain and becomes a physical change inside the brain and the mind and the body so in three places and we can talk about that in more depth in a moment but mm-hmm. just think of it of, of a, an actual wired in change inside of your brain that looks a different to what it should be it's it's creating essentially creating like a brain damaged state and it's a real physical little tree i mean it literally looks like this it literally looks like mm-hmm. a toxic tree inside the brain and that then um immediately threatens our survival and so um it's because because our brain and body and mind are all wired for love so anything that is counter to that is going to damage so like a virus mm-hmm. like a virus or a toxic thought both are made of proteins and that most people don't realize this that our experience protein trees inside of our brain and they become genetic changes in our body in every cell that's why we feel trauma in our body and they become basically like gravitational fields in our mind which is like all around and through our brain and our body and that's mm-hmm. why it's such an overwhelmingly um, big experience when we recall trauma or go through trauma because it's so abnormal to to that that um, our body is trained and um, to recognize it and to fight it and the way that it fights it is with signals and the signals can be categorized into the trauma responses so the trauma responses you mentioned flight flight freeze and then there's a fourth one fawn and there are two more but we generally just talk about the four are mm-hmm. the big big names for how we can respond like you said you mainly do the flight one we mm-hmm. want to run from this basically wanting to run from from that but do, do you know what if you unpack flight or flight fright or form or freeze you're then going to get to certain signals what are the signals and in, uh, inside flight so in other words what would the emotions be if you go into a flight response what that you that you could take flight and then you can break that down to four little areas and those four areas would be okay, what are the emotions mm-hmm. what are the behaviors what are the bodily symptoms and what are the what are your perspectives or mindsets or attitudes specific to that? So you mm-hmm. go from the overarching response, which is pretend mm-hmm. through the signals, and then from the signals you then go to the interpretation of yourself, which is actually inside the tree and it's at the top of the tree. So at this stage, the trauma responses, like what's this fawn, and those four categories are out here. It's like the smoke that this tree is giving off. And then once you've got that, you can then dive into the source. What is, where is this coming from? And it's coming from a physical thought, which is an experience. And mm-hmm. a physical thought is made of memories, which are the data. So what was the experience? What happened? What is all the detail? What were the emotions? What were the, all the things that happened? And everything that happened is in the root part. Like, we, you know, when you grow a tree, you, you plant the seed and then the roots grow and so on. And the tree trunk is the processing of that. 
and in the branches are the interpretation of what happened. So there's the event, the processing, the interpretation, and that's all built into a protein structure in your brain and has therefore changed the structure of your brain, but it's toxic. It's not healthy like this one, which is all nice and green and whatever, you know, so I use these analogies. Mm -hmm. so the body wants this, the brain and the body and the mind love this, but they reject this. So the, the trauma response, going down through the signals to the whole interpretation, processing, roots, etc., are all our body telling us, mind, brain, and body, telling us there's a problem, pay attention. So they are warning signals. And if we understand those levels and we know how to unpack the levels, that's how we can then start reconstructing the trauma. So we have to kind of identify, tune in, and there's, you know, how you, there's steps on how you do that. Then you can go to the process of reconstructing and reconstructing. Now you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what's in you. And that's what I'm saying. And it's a very mm -hmm. organized process. And when people get taught this and train themselves to do this, it's absolutely life enhancing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel sadness and depression because whatever happened to you to cause that trauma is sad and terrible and should never have happened in the first place, but it did. Mm -hmm. And what you've got to do is get your life back. And, and never deny that it happened. It's part of a narrative, but you need to shape that narrative that you can handle it. Mm -hmm. And it takes time and it takes very systematic processes because it requires changes in mind patterns and brain patterns and genetic patterns. And that does mm -hmm. not happen quickly. It happens mm -hmm. in very organized packages of time, which is what I've been researching. And those mm -hmm. organized packages of time, you can work on on your own daily because you're always with your mind. And you can work on those in therapy as a support tool or counseling or coaching. There's three different types of support that we can get, each doing slightly different things. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a big, big picture, a big answer to your question, which was excellent. And I don't know if you want to unpack or you want to explain anything in any more detail. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so with my mind being freeze, uh, or sorry, mind being flight, um, I can see that. Um, you know, growing up in an abusive home, around age 10 is when I started running away because that's when I started to, to feel like it was, I started to realize it's safer out there than it is in here. And so my mom would, uh, there were times that she would choke me and I would start to feel like I was going to black out. And so I would escape and I would just run out of the house. Um, uh, you know, lots of, similar scenarios, but I probably ran away 40, 50 times before I left for good at 14. So um, I can see that now when my boyfriend doesn't um, respond in the most loving way, my instant reaction is like, oh, I just want to get away from him. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be around you right now. You know, it's, and it's a, it's a very less um, toxic or, um, traumatizing type of scenario where he just responded in this way and I'm fleeing by just wanting space, but it still doesn't make either of us feel good. Um, That's a very great example of, of um, the fact that, that each of those events that happened to you, and it obviously was consistent for 14 mm -hmm. years, extremely, I mean, I'm so sorry to hear that you went through that. Mm -hmm. That should never have happened. And, this, and I want to quickly say anyone who's been through that kind of trauma, um, there's nothing you learn from that. You just got to heal from that. Because there's so many times people will tell you this, 
oh, you know, learn from the trauma. You don't, you do learn to the extent that you learn to cope, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's there's actually only healing because there's not a lesson in trauma in in mm-hmm. abuse. There's, you know, the, the obvious, you know, the obvious thing is you don't shouldn't do that. So I just wanted to say that to to assure people because I think there's a lot of of people thinking, well, I mean, I was a victim. Why should I? What have I got? What what good can there ever be in that situation? So mm-hmm. it's just, I just wanted to you know reassure you. So that that if every single event would have have made like a whole forest of these black trees, literally, and every time it happened, it would have just added to that. So either there's one massive, big, gigantic tree. Um, thought in your brain with all these memories, all these a few in different scenarios, but more than like more likely that there's a few. And each of these the sources have got a lot of data in them of all the things that happened and the emotions that went around it. And each time there would have been an interpretation uh, and all distorted processing and then all the things that go along with it because it's so abnormal. So this whole it would have been a whole class in your life. Now that doesn't just go away. So you had to protect yourself. And mm-hmm. so you're, in your mind, you probably fl- uh, did a bit of flighting as well, where you maybe just blocked off and, and then you did the physical flighting and, and things like that as well. And so mm-hmm. that you had to do to cope, but it's not sustainable, as you're saying, in your current relationship, even though you've, you've unpacked, you know why, you've deconstructed, et cetera, et cetera. You've done that. You know what the cause is of that. There's still a lot of stuff that's left that needs to be worked on that, um, so, that, so that when you trigger to know how to manage that. And that's mm-hmm. an ongoing thing because these things are so, trauma is so pervasive and it's so insidious how it creeps in. I always often use the example of the redwoods in, in California, in, in UC, I mean, not UC, in San Francisco. Um, and if you think of, they've got the, the largest root system in the world. And if you go into those forests, these roots are above the ground, but that's like under the ground, they're just extensive and they're huge and huge trees. And that, that's what these traumas are like. They're huge and you're not just going to like chop off one root, it's years of work. To, to keep seeing things. And there could be something that you know happened, but the detail of it you haven't quite deconstructed yet. So there's mm-hmm. a detail that's still, and that could then be a certain movement or a certain comment that your boyfriend says or something could trigger that. Mm-hmm. So then it's important to get into a constant cycle of mind management that's very limited in time, very focused, very organized, because it's exhausting work. It's exhausting to... Um, to not deal with it, and it's exhausting to deal with it too much. And so it's to deal with it in the right amount of time. That I'm so about that. With all my patients over the years, and I don't practice anymore, but I did for 25 years, but I've taken all that knowledge into the work that I do now. But one of the big things is you have to limit the amount of time that, you, that you're spending in a day, but you have to be very consistent over time. And if this is where the neuroscience is so helpful, or the, and specifically the psychoneurobiology, mind-brain-body connection, because mind drives the changes. So we have to rewire our brain, but to rewire our brain, we have to change our mind, and we have to change our gene code. And so literally we are doing, and that takes cycles of time. It doesn't happen in a week or two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's got to be very organized. And sometimes we can go all over the place, and sometimes therapy can go all over the place, and I'm the biggest proponent of therapy, I'm not anti-therapy at all, but I'm very all about therapy being done in very organized packages of time. Mm-hmm. That's, where, and that, that's where autonomy and empowerment comes in terms of healing. And you can start unpacking those little things that are still affecting you. So that trigger is still there. So in other words, the behavior is there. What is the emotions? If you, if you, if you think of running a, the flight response with your boyfriend, um, let's take that as the flight response and pack down to what are the emotions, rank the emotions, what are the behaviors, what are the symptoms in my body. And if you're very 
if you very systematically work through and then take down to the thought, do you, do you then find that there's another thought that, okay, there's, that, there's another detail and I need to reconstruct that detail and I need to make that detail work for me so that when this is triggered again, you've now got an insurance policy. You've reconstructed that into something. Okay, this is not that. This is now a different situation. He's just irritated because he's had a bad day. It's not that I'm a bad person and the lies that I was told or whatever. That's not the truth. But you you can't do that in highly emotional states. Mm -hmm. um, this will dominate. You want to build insurance policies into your brain of um, reconstructed truth mm -hmm. that becomes your go-to, and it's got to be really strong so that this go-to wipes out any of the – it's the go-to that you go to. So you still remember there's a twinge, but you're going to this quicker than you are falling into the fight. Into the fight. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and um, I want to continue to talk about um, the, the trauma and the way it affects the brain, but uh, really quick because you brought up COVID affecting the brain, uh, you brought that up briefly. Um, I wanted I wanted to see if you could expand on that, the way that COVID's uh, or the potential impact of it on the brain and how we can manage and improve the side effects. Absolutely. So there's a lot of research fortunately being done. And I mean, it's natural when anything like this happens, scientists go into, into research mode. But what I have observed from, I haven't done any direct studies on COVID over this time because I've been doing my own mind management studies, but the mind management stuff is applicable. So everything I've done is applicable because we've experienced COVID with our mind. So maybe what I can do is start off by just explaining mind, mind, brain connection. And then, the, um, um, or I can come back to that. Let me quickly explain the COVID concept and then I'll come back to that and then put it all together. So um, the reason I use COVID as an example is because COVID is, is, is a virus. Viruses are made of proteins. And when anything invades your body that shouldn't be there, our body's designed to fight it. And that's where the immune system kicks in and sends out all the, all the soldiers, T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes, and it goes to fight it and you get inflammation. And if the um, COVID virus stays there too long, and you can get an autoimmune response and the inflammation increases for long periods of time. So what we're seeing in COVID specifically is things like little mini blood vessels bursting all over the brain. So it's like little tiny strokes in the capillary in the little tiny blood vessels around the brain. So it's like a lot of little pockets of bleeding. Um, and that um, overall is the, creating a kind of global um, effect on how the brain functions. And that's because that's not a normal state for the brain to be in. It's a, it will affect how the blood flows and how the oxygen flows and how the brain energy in terms of frequencies flow. And so therefore, um, so that, that kind of disrupts the whole functionality of the brain. And that's why we're getting such kind of diverse responses that people are having, mm -hmm. like memory, uh, executive functioning, which is basically very driven by the, uh, very, not driven by the, the brain doesn't drive anything. We'll see that in a moment, but basically, it's a response that when we are um, when we have this kind of disruption in the brain, it's very difficult to really focus and make your decisions. Um, you, so you, you get a lot of brain fog up and down. Where one day is good, one day is bad. But your capillaries are naturally starting to heal themselves, and hopefully, most of that over time will resolve, depending on how bad it is. Um, there definitely does seem to be damage to the actual pathway. That people so if, uh, that people go through naturally when we build in a thought. So as people are listening now, this information is being grown into a thought tree in the brain. That's what happens with everything. Every single from the moment you open your eyes, the moment you go to sleep, everything you're experiencing is growing into these trees in the brain. But mm -hmm. obviously not bad proteins. COVID's made of a bad protein. This is mm -hmm. a natural protein. 
And um, so as that process is happening, there's a specific route that that and processes that follows, and it looks and the mind is using the brain. So it looks like some of those pathways are a little bit damaged. So it affects people's processing ability. Um, but over time, I firmly believe that if we, this one of the things we have to do really fast is, is really get people into develop to stimulating their brain correctly, brain building. We want to learn new information and grow lots of these trees. And even if it may seem unrelated, so getting back to school, studying any kind of building of your brain. And I have a whole chapter in this book about brain building. It's one of the things I did with every single one of my patients is you grow a lot of these green trees in your brain by just learning your information, anything you're interested in, listening to podcasts, learning your information. And that builds like a strength inside your brain. And that strong, those strong parts of your brain can then help with the rewiring of the weak parts and it will take over function. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take because COVID, we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. know. How long? But what I do know is that when you brain build um, over cycles of 63 days, we uh, get various different, very strong changes that happen in the brain. Like we often mm-hmm. don't take 21 days to form a habit. It doesn't. It takes at least 63. Uh, so for a habit, when we talk about habits, it means that you're going to actually make those changes in your life. You're going to, they're going to happen in your life. 21 days is not enough. We see that it's not sustainable. Um, you get changes happening in 21 days. You get changes happening in one day. If the changes that happen at 21 days are more of a, um, like a, a sort of, a, you build a little tree, okay? Um, but it's not strong, because you've got to compete with all the other memories, and all the other thoughts of their memories in your brain. Um, so you want to make them nice and strong. So it takes about 42 days for it to go from this to this. Can you see? Mm-hmm. But it's going to take at least 63 days to get to that state. And when mm-hmm. it's in that state, now it's got a lot of energy, enough energy to go from the non-conscious mind as a driver through your subconscious, into your conscious mind, and influence your decision-making. Because every decision you make is based on existing memories coming up. And we compare what we know to what's coming in, and then we make a choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, if this is not this is not going to influence anything. Mm-hmm. This is going to intermittently influence, but this will create behavior change. So mm-hmm. if you work on, um, if for healing to take place, um, you're going to have to work on very definite cycles of 63 days with the whole COVID changes that yeah. the brain. So I want to build hope into people because we're getting a lot of negativity. We're getting people mm-hmm. who, I don't know if the brain's going to heal, but this always happens with scientists. They, they, they've been cautious, but basic principles of neuroplasticity are established. Your brain is always changing. I did some of the first work in neuroplasticity back in the late 80s, early 90s with people with traumatic brain injuries, and they wrote people off at that stage. If you had a brain injury, they basically said, well, this is not Mm-hmm. And I, said, I can't believe that. And I showed that if you deliberately and intentionally use your mind to grow your brain and really grow these things in your brain, as well as then detoxing trauma at the same time, mm-hmm. you are going to change how you function. And I showed a 45 to 75% improvement. And my subsequent work over the years, my most recent clinical trials showed an 81% improvement. And that those, some of those trials were put in this book in a very simple way with some images and stuff. So the point being is that I believe in the power of the mind to actually grow the brain. Yeah. And growing the brain to circumvent and heal and change and everything like mm-hmm. that. That's really important. Very quickly, I want to compare why the reason I brought up COVID was because we all understand that COVID is this protein. It's physical, it's in the, it's, it's a physical thing, we know that. But most people don't realize that thoughts are also physical. That they, their mind is, is, is the receiver of the thought. 
and the process of this work, but then that, that puts it into the brain. The mind needs the brain to be able to take that experience and build it into something physical. Because of the, the, the mind-brain-body connection, we need the mind-energy stuff to go into something physical like the brain and build into a structure like a tree made of proteins and vibrations and chemicals and all that stuff. And from this, the, the mind, brain, and body can then, uh, then, then, there's, then the mind and brain change, the driver change in every cell of the body. And there's 37 to 100 trillion cells in the body. And all of that together enables you to be you. And it has nothing to do with doing. So when we have a toxic experience, like the things that have happened, whatever, whatever, whatever trauma, whatever adverse circumstance, to whatever degree, we also go through that. Same thing. We, the mind experiences it. There's all that electrochemical energy and and deep tissues and all that stuff that's built up in the brain. The brain builds it, but now it's toxic. And it's this protein is folded incorrectly, and the electrical chemical balance is incorrect. And that's why I compared it to COVID. It's not the same protein as COVID. But it's a protein that folds. It's a good protein that's now folded incorrectly. This is a good protein folded correctly, and it's a whole series of proteins, millions and millions, and then mm -hmm. it's imbalanced. So I want people to think of these thoughts in the same way they are real. And if you don't get rid of them, exactly like COVID has to get out of your body for you to feel, you've got to get these out of your body to feel. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean it goes away. You'll always remember what happened to you as a child, and you know, as you get older and you're dealing with it, you'll cope with it better, but it still brings sadness. It still brings terrible anxiety and trauma and and um, and it's, it makes you even more depressed and anxious when you start seeing some of the reasons and how quick that it happened and all that kind of stuff. And that's very normal. Things get worse before they get better. But there's a point where you have to say, okay, if I keep living there, that controls me and I can't have a life. So I have to accept the sadness and be comfortable with the sadness and the depression and anxiety and allow myself to feel that. But at the same time, I've got to put that into into a reconstructed version. But I still want my relationship with my boyfriend to work. I still want my to be able to move ahead and do podcasts that are helping millions of people. That kind of thing, which is what you're doing. You're reconstructing, you're making your past work for you and helping you move into the future. And But that's yeah. your, that's your mind. That's not your brain. Your brain does nothing except what you tell it to do. So you're now alive and you're sitting there having this conversation. If we had a dead person with us, they couldn't do anything. The brain and body would be busy dis disintegrating. But if, and if, if we take QEEG technology, which is the technology I use in my neuroscientific research, and we put that on you and my brain at the moment, we see lots of stuff going on. But if we put it on a dead person, nothing's going on. So what is that difference? What is the life that we see in you and me now versus the dead person? It's our mind. Our mind can go by many names, but I use mind because it's the most anciently used in science and spirituality, and it's kind of spirit soul, whatever you want to call it. I think mind is just a really healthy way of looking at it, a great word. The mind is this thing that we are aliveness, and our aliveness is made up of a messy part, which is totally normal because it's the experimental part, because it's you know, life is full of uncertainties. So we are, oh, it's okay to be messy because of all the uncertainties of life. The big thing is we need to manage those uncertainties. And so we've got to manage them. So the uncertainty in your life was this abuse as a child and many other uncertainties, obviously, but it was an extreme level of adversity. And you didn't you, you could predict your circumstances was coming up, but you didn't know every you know everything all the time, but it was always a consistent chronic situation in your life. So you brought that response into your into your brain and it became a real physical thing. And then it affected how you're showing up. So you had to unpick literally deconstruct this over, over years 
this is not unfortunate. I wish I could tell you that it was 163 day cycle and you'll be fine. If you, you know yourself, that's not going to be the case. But you can get control if you know if I do this much work in this much time, this is happening in my brain. This is what I've rewired neurally. This is what I've changed in the gravitational fields of my mind. This is what I've changed in my body genetically and epigenetically. Um, that's what the science I do is to show you, to give you evidence that if you keep working very systematically and you accept the fact that this is an ongoing thing, that's when healing will come. And but in that, we've got to allow ourselves to still have sadness because we can never change what's happening to us, but we can only change what's in us in order to have peace in the midst of chaos. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that helpful message around um, COVID and, and building the brain. And, and that's very empowering because um, that's in our hands, you know, to, to just just build our brain. So I love that. And I, I have a couple questions about children. Um, and maybe a good segue into that is I'd love to hear about the neuroscience behind dreams and nightmares, but also how we can help children process and understand their nightmares. So that's really, really important because um, not, oh, let's start from here. Mind, as I've been saying, is not our brain. Our mind is separate from the brain. And the mind drives the brain. The mind is pretty much all of who you are. So, alive. so when you're alive, the mind is pretty much 99% of who you are and your physical becomes a sort of 1% to 10%. Not that mm -hmm. the physical isn't important because your mind couldn't do anything without your physical. Mm -hmm. So our mind is always working. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you can't even go three seconds without your mind working, which means your mind is working in and out as well. So mind has two levels, and the one is the non-conscious, which operates 24-7, N-O-N, non-conscious, not unconscious. Unconscious is a state. You get knocked out from a drug or an anesthetic or something like that, or baseball bat, whatever. That's not a state of, that's that's a, 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 your mind being put into, you've had a physical change, okay? But all going 24-7, you have different states, these different states. So the non-conscious works 24-7. It's the biggest part of your mind, it's the thoughtful part of your mind, it works on quantum principles, it's where all your intelligence is, your experiences, which are stored in these trees as thoughts, thought trees with all their memories. So like a tree made of branches and roots, thoughts are made of memories. So the little branches, of the memories, the roots of the memories, okay? And you've got, you've got good and bad. We've been building these in response to life since a certain point in the room. So we have trillions of these combinations, hopefully mainly, mainly healthy ones and the toxic ones interspersed. But some people have had such terrible experiences that there's a lot of toxicity, especially as you went through your childhood. So there's a whole part of your life that will probably morph for the weeds than any good stuff. So that okay. means that it's very complex trauma, so it's going to take so much longer to to heal, but it will heal. Um, and you, know, you, you can you, you can get through that as much as it's terrible. Um, so the, the um, okay, let me just get back on track here. Um, oh gosh, just, just remind me of your, uh, okay, so mine. So I was going on with like a million things in my mind there. Yeah. Okay, so the mind then, the non-conscious mind, so as what happened there to me right now, was so many things were stimulated in my non-conscious mind to talk about that I had a whole lot of these come up once and I had to pick which one to focus on. So mm -hmm. that was a very good example of what can happen. We can, on we, we, we get a question, we get triggered, and then a whole lot of memories come up and they can overwhelm. So we've got to know how to focus in. What do I need? So I needed to focus in on this one, which is what mind is. So to bring, a, bring, bring back into context, 
and a mind is there for the unconscious mind is this 24 7 thing the conscious mind is only awake when you're awake it's mm -hmm. much slower the unconscious mind operates at speeds of 10 to 27 which is about 400 billion actions per second and way faster than that just to give people a number it never stops even when you're sleeping the conscious mind is much slower it's about 2,000 actions per second and only works when you're awake but so that now when you're awake you get non-conscious plus conscious plus you've got a third part subconscious the subconscious is the, is the bridge between the two. So as I'm speaking, um, we're conscious of what's been said, and I'm conscious of what I'm saying, and I'm drawing on mem thought, memories inside thought trees that are in my non-conscious, and I'm pulling them up. As, I, as you saw just now, I pulled up to me once and got muddled for a moment, then had to dive in and select one. So where does it come? From the non-conscious through the subconscious into the conscious. So the subconscious is the bridge you just become aware of stuff mm -hmm. so everything we have your childhood trauma the traumas of adulthood the traumas of covid the traumas of politics life racism oh culture upbringing religion whatever and your individual experiences are all in the non-conscious and they they got there through the conscious so with our conscious mind we experience and our conscious is, is to, our, so our conscious mind takes in the current experience of this podcast, for example, it pushes it into the brain as this, this, um, this quantum energy and electromagnetic energy, which creates a response in the brain. The brain responds electromagnetically on the quantum level, electromagnetically, electrochemically, and genetically, and converts this podcast, which are sounds, into these protein trees in the brain. Millions of thousands and hundreds of thousands of proteins each vibrating with a fact. So our facts are being converted into little, little proteins and the proteins are growing into branches. So you're growing this as I'm speaking. Mm -hmm. Everything is going in the root and then your unique interpretation of this is different. So every listener is going to have a different branch looking part. The roots the same because they're hearing the same thing. So the roots are the source. This is the source of the abuse. This is the source of the good stuff. Mm -hmm. and always have to do like any, any weeds in a garden is you have to go and get things out by the root. Okay, but that's conscious work. So our conscious mind has to work with the non-conscious mind to do the stuff. So now when we have toxic stuff, at night when we're sleeping, our conscious mind switches off. Our non-conscious mind goes very low function and our non-conscious mind is dominating. And our non-conscious mind is driving and our non-conscious mind at its core is all about survival. It's, we call it being the optimism bias, being wired for love. It's all about keeping you alive and in a state that you can cope with life so everything's geared towards your survival so when you go to sleep at night your mind is going to do a lot of housework to go through these trees of thought trees and deal with the content that is there and that's on a on the mind level and then at the same time there's a lot of physical regeneration that is happening to prepare you for the next day so it's two levels there's mind and then there's the physical level or mind mm -hmm. level. and mind is also physical because it's got these it's energy fields it's on Okay, so that is what dreams are. As the housework is happening, the dreams and nightmares start occurring. This is going to trigger a nightmare. This is going to trigger a dream. Mm -hmm. Some something positive, that's something negative. Your mind goes, non-conscious mind goes to these at night because these are the dirt that need to be set up. These need to be vacuumed up. These need to be sorted out. But your non-conscious mind can't sort these out at night. It just prepares you. So your non-conscious mind is pulling these up. The ones that are the most disruptive and into your, into your, um, through, through your non-conscious, into your sleep state. 
And as you go through non-REM where we, uh, non-REM where we don't sleep, that's where things are being kind of cleaned up and prepared. And when we go into REM sleep, that's when we start experiencing what's being cleaned up. It kind of moves into the REM sleep. And if this happens to be pulled up in the back by the vacuum cleaner, that's going to be processed um, as it's in our dream state. Now, our dream state is, um, at, at night when we sleep, our brain reverses its functioning. So what was flowing this way during the day, which is kind of illogical, is now flowing that way at night, so it's illogical. And also because it doesn't just happen sequentially, your brain is multidimensional, it's, it's, it's all happening at the same time, this chemical state. This gets broke, that one, that one. So there's a whole lot that kind of get all jumbled. And there's also this spilling through. So you may maybe be flying in chairs and you are, you know, there's an experience that is detailed, but then it gets distorted by, because of this, the, 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 the fact that the brain is processing differently. So the chemicals are flowing differently. And because there's multiple different things being pulled up, now you're not fixing at night. You are physically preparing. It's all a preparation stage. So when you wake up in the morning from a dream, from from a dreams and nightmares, um, that, that then we the, the the concept, the way we are designed is that we should then what's our state of mind, and we should go into trauma work immediately. So every human should always be doing trauma work because yes, you you suffered more trauma than the average person in childhood, but everyone's got different traumas, and so there's complex trauma. And then there's less complex it's on a scale. We think of a scale of one to ten, and what you experience will definitely be ten. And we can't deny that it's complex trauma. Um, but someone, and I'm not trying to downplay what you've gone through, but something like a, a bad comment on social media that throws you is, is, a, is, is also a little trauma. But it's still mm-hmm. because those little things are like different taps, and then eventually become a huge leak. So we should immediately go into trauma work. So children from as young as three, they wake up and, and a parent sees that they're having and three they are even younger they're having the nightmares that is evidence that there's that there is unprocessed trauma inside the brain especially if it's consistent so there's something going on and and that nightmare is your body and mind and brain sending you a very strong signal that you need to pay attention and resolve and rebalance um and so i mean this is a hugely complex thing but it's actually not that complex if, if you listen to the way i've explained it's complex but it's not complex mm-hmm. things like when we get people in a paralyzed state when they're dreaming because of the fact that we are psychoneurobiology we're not just one thing we're this combination our mind is using our brain and our body our body can't always handle um and brain and body can't handle these extreme states that the mind is experiencing the mind is much more powerful than the brain and the body and the mind never stops so the brain and the body can get a shock. So even at night time when you're supposed to be resting, I mean you're supposed to be regenerating, now you get this terrible nightmare. And this thing is like jumbled up and now your regeneration can happen. So then you can have those um that the night the sort of nighttime paralysis where you it, it feels like you're awake and you actually you can't move and you're stuck and you can't get away and and um the night terrors, that kind of thing are just different extreme states that actually happen that are all part of this body experiences housekeeping, experiencing this housekeeping and it's actually your brain, brain and body working to help you. And that's why it's so important that we from very young teach our children what you're not doing. From the age of three, I've been to train, working with kids in my practice, working with kids in schools, working with my own children. I have four of my own children. In other words, this should be all the time. I think that and, and as much as we teach a child math at school, we should be teaching an emotional mind. If I have a dream, what does it mean? If I have a nightmare, what do I do if I feel sad on the age-appropriate level? Um, 
so because then what you do is you then know okay i've got this if you were at school and you were able to say to your teacher you had the language if you had a class that was teaching you if you're having a bad dream come and talk to me so that you know, get to the counselor and the counselor can give you faith therapy you know this is what we can then catch and the abuse in the midst of it happening and try to then be proactive um so this should start from incredibly young um and if it hasn't which it hasn't in a lot of most of the place you know it's getting better now more people are aware and so on but um that is an ideal that we work towards but in the meantime the most of the time it is as a young adult if you start doing the trauma work mm-hmm. and you can change that and that's where you have to do the inner child work as you probably know you have to go back to the inner child so you have to go back as the i don't know how old you are 25 26 how old are you uh 36. <laughs> no, you do not look 36 okay there you go so we both, <laughs> both have to age okay so <laughs> 36 year old have to go back to the seven year old and the five year old and the 36 year old knows so much more and you know what's right and you have to go back to that child and you have to go back and literally say it's okay i'm here to protect you what you mm-hmm. said is wrong and it sounds so crazy but you have to do that for cycles of 63 days you literally have to tell that child in that particular specific context you have to be very specific or literally daily for 63 days to wire out that and to wire in the new response Mm. And that's something that we have to do every day. Otherwise, that is what is going to come up in nightmares. So whatever's coming up in nightmares is your mind, brain, and body telling you this is not yet addressed. It's another signal for you to become more protective to do the trauma work. Is that all kind of yeah? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think dreams are are uh, extremely powerful when it comes to figuring out the meanings and. Uh, can be ceremonies in themselves you know if we if we really look at what they're trying to tell us and i feel also that um i may be incorrect here but i i feel that our ego doesn't get in the way in our while we're dreaming and so it's like such a even though it seems abstract it's a much clearer message than when our emotions you know are going on while we're awake it's very authentic in the fact that it's actually your dreams are coming from your wise mind. And the wise mind, if you think of the thought of your unconscious being all these millions of trees in a forest, your um your your wise mind would be the center of the forest and it's perfect. And that's we that's what our core, that's who we are, and that's always what's gonna what we find to stay that's always finding to protect us. So the dream, the toxic thing is on the outside. So what's happening there is that that honesty and um, that raw pure honesty is happening in the unconscious level. And you find that when the conscious day when you're consciously aware we've built all these things of people pleasing and you know all these responses which are trauma responses they're part of those trauma responses and they interrupt the um they they protect it but they're negatively protected in a sense because they they, they block our authenticity and at night time that, that's all gone so you're quite right that that the near to protect yourself is gone yeah and i know that you've um you've researched and developed the neurocycle method for the past three and a half decades. Um, I I was curious when it comes to our children and helping them process and understand things, how we can use that to help them also manage their thoughts and emotions. Absolutely. Well, initially my work started with people with traumatic brain injuries. And very quickly, um, I was working with severe um, children with severe trauma and severe learning disabilities. Because those so often when a child's battling with learning, there's a, there's a huge emotional trauma because your learning is immediately affected. So very often with patients that were referred to me uh, for like really bad problems with learning, we always found some severe traumatic abuse going on 
all that had gone at some point. Not every single time, but most of the time. And um, some level of, um, as opposed to, you know, if you do get some basic um, things that can go wrong genetically in the womb that could cause more problems, but that's sort of another type of patient. So um, from from my work is um, I very early on developed a theory on mind and body psychoneurobiology, and then I wanted a system for understanding. Once I started understanding what the thought was and the thought was on memories are inside the trees and where's my everything I've been saying, I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. What are we going through, like you and I, right now, as we build this thought? What is a child going through? As they, as, as, in other words, if everything that we experience becomes a thought tree, which then influences how we communicate, our communication can become pathological. So the pathological communication needs to be where we start to backtrack and to unwire what we wire. So I wanted to know the steps of how that happens and how we can then reverse that process. And so that was meticulous work over years of. Um, I went literally for almost 25 years. I worked in war-torn Rwanda. I worked in South Africa um, for years in the apartheid transition and post-apartheid regime where people were under the most chronic trauma from the terrible racist system and didn't have um, books in place. At the same time, I had books and teaching materials and no management of emotions. And, um, and I worked at the same time with a practice where I worked with wealthy people that could afford therapy and I worked with different corporations. I worked in education, in government. In other words, what I'm saying is I looked up for mind everywhere because everyone's using their mind. So I wanted to see whether you're rich or poor, whether you are adult or child, whether you are in a healthy or unhealthy situation, what are you doing? What's your mind? How are you managing? And from that, I spent years doing like hands-on work there. And I brought all that to play now to all the different research trials that I'm doing. But that then led to the development of a system. And it's, you know, I was explaining this to some, to, I explain this every day to multiple people because I do lots of interviews. But it's almost like, think of the neurocycle. It's called the neurocycle. It used to be called the, the, um, the five six switch in the brain process, but still on the It's called the neurocycle because neuro means brain, and with your mind, you are cycling through your mind and your brain and your body to change things, to change how you are functioning as a human and how you, and, and how you are impacted by society cannot be. Ever, ever ignored because it's you in the world you are who you are but you are also changed because of where you've been and the world that you've been in so we can never ignore the environment a lot of primary systems ignore socioeconomic factors and racism and, and the stories of our lives the narrative the context we cannot ignore that because that will because at our core we write for life at our core our identity is one of survival beautiful brain and brain and neurobiology and biology of our body beautiful mind all the science shows that that is all looks fantastic but if something happens to us it gets distorted like a sickness or a trauma so and then your body fights that so everything is in is, is all the ducks in a row for we wired for love and anything that disrupts us disrupts that and we've got to fight that so then what i wanted to do was to find a system of of that that could be used in a heavily therapeutic sense in extreme situations but they could also be used day to day because you can go to your therapist sure but you're going maybe once or twice a week or you maybe have a coach you see three times a week or you do both or whatever or you have a great support system but they're not with you 24 7 your mind is with you 24 7 you are your mind so you wake up with an okay and you can't phone up your therapist there. maybe you can but generally no um and so in other words i wanted people to understand mind and be able to manage their mind all the time 
and to teach kids young as well that if you wake up you can work through the system and the system therefore is like amazon think of amazon as being a delivery system that works it's they've got a system in place that gets anything anywhere anytime and as efficiently as possible that's what the neurocycle does it's kind of an amazon of, of the mind where it is a system that gets anything that you need in the right place at the right time delivered in the right place at the right time and it's based on this principle of the mind like neurobiology and neuroscience etc of how can we use our minds to drive the brain and the body so lots of the things that you hear about like journaling and gratitude and all that those are all all work because they are elements of the system i wanted to build the whole system and then the system you can enter whatever you want in that system so there's great therapy techniques out there this doesn't replace any of those things it basically gives you the, the packaging that if you put them into that package they're going to be delivered effectively so therefore your mind and brain are going to work like they should so in other words in summary when you use the neurocycle you are accessing the wise mind to make your brain and body work like they should and therefore you're going to be able to learn to cope with the situation over time so it's not a quick fix nothing is mind is a quick fix mm-hmm. so i took kids as young as three of us we would do you know with the brain with them brain talks where we taught two and three-year-olds how to do this and like as i said my own kids grown up with it so the neuroscience is basically what we see is that we go through five basic stages within that there's millions of things that's overwhelmed for no one with everyone so you don't want millions you want five steps when i had a patient in front of me who was in severe trauma they didn't need a million steps or a million functions that i could do they needed basic stuff they needed a framework of this is what you do and now over time we can add more new classes maybe today we just deliver one thing next door and maybe tomorrow three things down the road and so in other words so you expand but it's always the same system because that system works so um and that system basically is um, involves a preparation phase and then the five steps and then that leads to application so the neurocycle involves quite a bit so even though it's five step system you have to prepare first and the preparation is that your your brain is a physical thing if you don't feel it properly exercise it if you don't when you having a panic attack you're not going to be able to do any logical five steps you have to first get the panic attack under control when you start looking at trauma and you start seeing what's happened to you it can completely overwhelm you need to decompress you know so preparation um so what i've designed is that you prepare your brain you go then you in preparing your brain you then go into becoming literally a thought detective where you start reading the trauma responses to the signals to tell which will take you to the truth and then you apply the five steps to deconstruct and reconstruct it into this and then you apply the five steps to turn that tiny tree the little thing and grow it over time because this this happens first then you have to apply the five steps to stabilize and grow it into something that has enough energy to get out of your non-conscious into your conscious mind and change your behavior and so it's obviously very simplistic for children um in my neurocycle app there is a little uh, there's a simple process for helping kids with anxiety the app currently is designed for for sort of 15 and upwards we've got a whole children's version that's coming um wow. children's books that are coming this book my latest book is really takes such on your brain to a whole new level so this is i'd really recommend this book because it's got it's the most up to date based on clinical trials and the neurocycle i explain it absolutely it's give examples of how to apply for trauma complex and simple trauma um how to uh, just as toxic habits that we develop 
um, and then also building your brain so important I mentioned earlier on um, and then also things like building good habits into your life like you know whatever lifestyle habits you do you all need good lifestyle habits so it's how to use the neurocycle in all those aspects so the neurocycle is how you use your mind to change your neural wiring in your brain and to change the genetics in your body and so therefore it can be used to build your brain it can be used to detox your brain it can be used to build new habits so you're using the five steps all the time because it simply is how do I find what's causing these toxic signals and how do I break them down and change them? Or how do I build good stuff into my brain? So you don't have to find anything toxic. The other version is you're just building a good habit or a good new piece of knowledge or whatever into your brain. So in preparing our brain, we want to do things like um, we, when your neurochemistry is fired up from like a being triggered by something, you are not going to be thinking very clearly and you'll be very reactive. That is when our emotions, which are like glue, um, and when we, our mind is think, feel, choose. So feel is the emotions. They, they're in between the two. Think, feel, choose. So think of feel, the emotions, like glue, sticking them together. If it's a big emotion, which this is, and the trigger triggers this, you're going to trigger something that's going to get you stuck. So instead of these being flexible, they're stuck. So the emotion dominates because it's the glue sticking. But when I've got it under control like this, can you see I'm pulling my fingers apart? Now everything's all balanced, so now my emotions are in the right place. They're not dominating. But when I'm in a toxic state, these get stuck together, and this with the, has the emotions have the most energy between thinking and, and choosing. And so they, they influence us. And when emotions are firing, our brain chemistry goes crazy. Our brain waves, frequencies go crazy. Our telomeres in our DNA start not doing what they should be doing. The million plus cells we make every second start becoming very negatively, they, they're not healthy, they, we make unhealthy cells. So we just become like a big milkshake, I mean a big messy milkshake. And um, we, that will be, in itself will send signals and we can't do anything. So those are the things where things like breathing and meditation and havening and tapping and all those beautiful technologies and techniques, I should say, that have been developed over the years, meditation, etc. All, and there's so many versions and so many ways that some work for some. And so it's to really experiment and find your most favorite combination and prepare your brain with that. But in the moment, what there's some techniques that I've developed that um, that are based on all you know the science and so on that you can use like in the moment. And one of the things is the 10 second pause, which is a very useful something I use like multiple times a day. Um, if, if, so you triggered and something happens. If you breathe in for three counts, and this is brain preparation now, you breathe in for three counts and you breathe out for seven, but it's a deep inhalation where your whole gut moves. So it's a real, you know, your whole body's moving. You can feel mm -hmm. like you're going up a balloon. And then you push it out for seven counts, but you suck at yoga breath where you're forcing it out where you almost get a headache. That's pushing oxygen to the front of your brain. It's pushing, in, it's influencing the physiology to the front. It's not just a little inhale, exhale. It's a deep inhale and a very forced exhale. Um, and that increases the oxygen and blood flow to the front of the brain. It starts to stabilize the brain waves. And now you can do something because now your brain and body, you're not working, your mind isn't working through chaos. It's working through organized chaos. Mm. And organized chaos is a little better. And that may not be enough. You can do once, you can do up to nine times. And 90 seconds of that generally is enough to get you to a point where you can stop reacting and you can start responding and get yourself to a calm enough state where you can... Um, start functioning. Oh, you can do tapping, you can do havening. I mean, there's so many different things. So I have in the NeuroCycle app, I start every day with brain prep 
And I normally take you through a two to three minute little exercise. So it's not long, but you have to do it. And there's different, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of different brain prep exercises that I take you through. I have a whole lot in my book as well. And you can go find it. I mean, it's easy to, once you know what a brain prep exercise is, it's easy. So that's the first part. Then you start coming into this whole five-step process with a very important mindset. And this is vital. So these, these two, the brain prep and the, the mindset that you come in are vital. The mindset is one of, it's okay to make a mess. I'm a human. It's not who I am. I am showing up this way because of, there's a reason. So that's not who I am. I'm showing, because we have so much messaging in the world today from the mental health, psychiatric, biomedical model, as well as the wellness movement unintentionally, positive psychology, um, religion, that you're bad. If you're doing that, you are bad. So when your core identity and your value system has been attacked, you lose a lot of hope, and that's not a good thing. And so what I, that, and that's just so counter to, this, to the science. It's so counter because you're amazing. You can do something that no one else can do. The thought you're thinking right now, no one else can do. You, can, you bring a piece to the table that no one can bring. So if I enhance you and lift you up, I'm enhancing myself because there's something that I can do that you can so then we help each other. That's mm-hmm. the philosophy that, our, that we built on. That's what quantum physics shows. It's what physics shows. It's what neurobiology shows and it's basic human gut instinct. It's love. Okay, that If I love you and instead of competing with you, we both get off. And so that we want to bring that to the table, this thing of I'm amazing. It's not just a motivational affirmation. That doesn't work if you don't really believe it. It is scientifically you are phenomenal. And I've got a whole podcast on identity. I've got books on identity. But this is cool. When I work with my patients, I would first work on identity. Then I would work on brain building. Then I'd work on the heart side. So now I'm dealing with a person who's starting to feel value and hope. They're starting to have resilience in their brain. And now we can do the hard work and of trauma work or whatever it is. Um, so that's the attitude. It is very attitude. I am amazing. So no matter how guilty, shame, terrible, whatever it is that I've done, that's it's done. It's done. Own that. It's a mess, but now repair it. That's so different to oh, I'm so terrible. How could I do that? Why did I say that? People are going to hate me. I'm so evil. I'm so this. I'm so bad. I've failed this one. I've failed God. I've failed whatever. That's just going to put you 1,400 neurophysiological responses in, into flight mode, literally, and be fighting against you. So but if you want to make them work for you, say, okay, I've done it. That's the reality. Let me take that guilt. Let me take that shame. Let me take that terrible thing that I've done. And let me recognize I've done that because of something. Yes, people are hurt. And yes, once I fix myself up, I can then go and part of fixing myself up will be to go and try and repair as much damage as I can or whatever, if, if it is that you've hurt someone else or whatever it may be, whatever situation. Um, the fact is that we have to give ourselves permission to be okay with the mess. That is so vital. And then you move at this stage, you come in with that. You, you, sometimes I had my patients being two-day cycles, just on what I've seen. We can start believing in the identity and the fact that actually they are amazing. Because most of my patients, most people that send us thousands of emails every week are saying the same. Oh, they believe they, they, they're not good. They believe that they failed God or they failed this one or they failed humanity. Or we've done side, they've been so crushed and maybe you can relate to this, I don't need to say but when you've been constantly abused and told that you're this and this and this, you, your identity shattered. And that has to be rectified first. And that's the process. 
Yeah, that is is fascinating. And I know that you also talk about how NeuroCycle changes genes, yeah. which is really mind-boggling. Um, I was curious your thoughts around ADD, ADHD, and the medications often prescribed for it. Okay, that's a that's a big one. Um, just quickly to wrap up on that last question, you can yeah. use the Eurocycle from, as I keep saying, from very young. Use it down. So the five steps could follow the preparation, and they very clearly laid out in the book because we didn't actually go through the five steps. But it's better for them to actually read it in the book and go, and the app walks you through the whole process. And it's the systematized. You follow it. All these great things are happening in your brain, and you slowly you do it daily for fifteen to forty five minutes, and over over sixty over twenty one days. And then after 21 days, from day 22 to day 63, you just do it for five minutes a day. And if you get into a consistent pattern like that, you can start unpacking all these things mm -hmm. over time. So it's a lifestyle. It's not that you just do this one-off. Yeah. You do it consistently. And as you're doing this, if you dedicate a little bit of time each day, I do it when I'm getting ready in the morning. So that just becomes your neurocycle detox time. Then you, you get so good at doing it that you'll find that you can apply the five steps very quickly. So I've got a lot in the book about applying the neurocycle in the moment. So if you have an argument with someone or you, um, someone sent you a horrible email or you, whatever, things had happened like unexpected in your day, you can quickly use the neurocycle to calm you down you know, within, mm. with the preparation. You can do it in one minute. And there's a lot in the, in, the, in the book. I give examples of those. And then in the app, I have this full 63 days where I walk you through it with videos and audio and script. And then it's like me giving you therapy. And then there's also audio guides for the short films. Like if you're having a panic attack or you find yourself people pleasing or you, whatever. So that can, that can help you. And as I said, we're bringing in for kids, it's all in development. It's, they've been really getting put into the technology and books and things. Yeah. Okay. And so the book, the book is Your Mental Mess. This is the latest one. Your one. Mental Mess. And what is the app called? Neurocycle. Neurocycle. Perfect. This book explains what we've been talking about. And then the second half, what the neurocycle is and how to use it. And then the app is literally me giving you therapy. Um, and it can be used from anyone. That we've got as young as 12-year-olds using the app. And we will bring out a children's version as well. Um, so then in terms of ADD, ADHD, and learning disabilities, those two terms, ADD and ADHD, are misnomers. Learning disabilities do occur. Um, and there's many reasons, very often the majority of reasons are emotional, which I said earlier on, that people have been through a, a lot of trauma, and that then affects how the brain can process, and therefore um, learning disabilities can occur. Um, so I prefer to work to talk about the term learning disability, because the term ADD and ADHD started coming in around 30 years ago, 30, actually more, 40 years ago. And I remember sitting in a lecture and one of our professors saying, this is one of the worst things that could have happened is to say that ADD and ADHD is a thing, that's a category because it's not. It is a symptom of something that's going on in a child's life, in an adult's life, if they are battling. Because, this, because ADD, if you look at it, the symptoms are not being able to concentrate, not being able to learn, not being able to focus. And then if you say, well, why can't you do that? They'll say you have ADD and then, or ADHD. And then they say, but what are the symptoms of that? Can you see it's circular reasoning? Mm -hmm. So what we're dealing with actually is a symptom. So rather instead of looking at ADD, ADHD as a disease, um, and because a lot of that science saying it's a change in the brain and it's a change in the genes, isn't those aren't the causative factors. Those are the result of. The brain doesn't produce it. The brain responds. So the cause is in the environment in the majority of cases. Having said that, you do have people that are born with issues that happen in the womb. 
um, from medications that, that maybe the parent took or their exposure or um, down genetic mutations can occur in the bloodline. So there is that, but it's only about 5%. So it's not a large portion that actually where it's coming from a um, some sort of genetic thing that causes also things like cerebral palsy or um, levels of autism, that sort of thing. Those are, there's definitely something going on in brain development and we don't even really know what they are yet. People are still in research mode when it comes to those things. So mm -hmm. ADD, ADHD is not a genetic thing. Um, you can have it playing out in families because patterns do pass down the bloodline. That's called epigenetics. So you can see depression, anxiety, which are not, it's either depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, schizophrenia. None of these are like cancer or diabetes. They're not, you can't have them because you can have cancer because cancer is an actual thing. It's more cells that are it's more like passing on the lifestyle or the trauma or. Exactly. You're passing mm -hmm. that on and it's, 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 a, it's a symptom of, it's a, it's a warning signal. It's a symptom as opposed to a thing. Cancer is a thing. ADHD is a symptom. So, and, and it can, yes, it can, that can pass through epigenetically because behavior patterns pass through the sperm and the ova. These things pass through the sperm and the ova because genetics pass through, but mm -hmm. they aren't, um, they are um, mutations. And so they, and they're passive and they're not necessarily activated unless triggered. But if the same kind of lifestyle is continued in the next generation, that activates those patterns. But it still can be, those still can be changed. Okay, so it's not that there's, um, so that's that's epigenetics that can pass pass through lifestyle factors. So therefore, we need to rather look at ADD, ADHD as very significant symptoms of an underlying cause. So we need to say to ourselves, these are happening because of why. And then you must look at the whole context of the child, the environment, the diet, the exercise, the um, maybe there's bullying going on at school. Who knows what? There's always a big picture. And then at the, at the end of the day, we have a school system that has become progressively worse over the years, especially in the United States where it's become teacher to the test. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of facts being given and then learning certain facts and regurgitating. So the whole the de desire that the mind-brain has, which is to understand stuff and to chew on stuff and to process and to get wisdom, has been kind of bypassed with a lot of factual um, regurgitation. And children aren't really taught how to learn. They're taught how to just build in a temporary memory and regurgitate that. And that's mm -hmm. very, very toxic to the brain, which will mm -hmm. cause symptoms of ADD and ADHD. So what I would do in my practice is I teach kids how to learn, how to think to understand, you know, to really process that and learning systems. So that's the five, the neuropsychy can be used for learning as well. And um, teach teachers how to actually develop, uh, deliver lessons and, and how they plan these, these cycles of teaching in that way. Um, and when you do that, you alleviate those symptoms very, very quickly. So at this stage, we're getting about a 75 to even yeah. higher percent of a classroom who's got ADD. It's impossible. You can't suddenly have a viral increase in ADD. And yeah. ADD. You've got to look at the system because it was not like that. The yeah. argument is, oh, well, we didn't know how to pick it up. Before. I think also there's so much more um, chemicals in our food, so much more sugar in everything, and so much more screen time because parents are so busy that they just pop on the screens. And now that there's tablets and you know tons more forms of video games, it's like it's just everywhere. Well, that's so in what they're doing now is they're medicating, and that's a huge problem. I watched this trajectory in my 38 years. Is these these psychotropics are not medications. They're not fixing anything. They're simply numbing behaviors in the brain and then they're changing the brain in a negative way so gen, gen z is the most 
medicated generation or any generation in history, which is not good. How um, is it changing the brain, the medication? It literally changes the structure. So specifically around the area of the synapses, um, which are where, the, where um, neuro, these neurons look like this. So they look like these. So where they touch each other, where they connect with each other and where they connect with each other like inside the branches and when these touch other ones. Wherever branches touch each other, you get a synapse and synapses have got little doorways and those doorways are all, everything's all balanced. In, in, in between the doorways, if you think of my nails as doorways and then I've got a gap between my, my hands at the moment and that's called the synaptic cleft and there's chemicals in there. So when you give someone a drug like, um, like Adderall, you are putting a chemical in that space that shouldn't be there. So it upsets the balance because there's a lot, this isn't just one chemical there. There's a whole bunch of different things going on there um, and electrical, electromagnetic stuff and everything. So that disrupts that. And then that affects the structure of these little doorways. And then we have suddenly have too many doorways or too few doorways. And so it starts creating anesthesia, anesthetic type effects in the brain and sort of numbing effects in the brain, which is what antidepressants do and, 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 and stimulants will create an increase in dopamine and too many doorways where there's now too many doors open and the serotonin mm -hmm. too, too many doors but too many that close down. So these actual structural changes and those are very abnormal. Over time they create cognitive problems and side effects and when you come off them there's terrible withdrawal which is not a disease coming back. It's the, the brain healing itself but it creates a withdrawal effect. That's so why one has to taper and that kind of thing. So when it comes to medications, they should be used with the utmost caution. Very anti-medication for kids. They, it doesn't actually help them, even though it will be quoted that it does because they become easier in the classroom to control. But that you, you ask a child and they, the majority of those kids, will, most of them, 99.9% .9 of them will say it makes me feel worse, especially over time. So that's not the solution long-term-wise. Unfortunately, it's... It's being offered as a solution. You can taper off, your brain can heal, um, and you can get through it to the other side. But you know, staying on them is not good because generally it will end up being polypharmacy because the side effects create things like you know, to get a lot more depression and a lot more sadness and, and eating issues. And oh, there's thousands of side effects. So those generally get treated with more drugs. So that leads to if a child's been put on Ritalin as young as five or six, which they are these days, sometimes as young as two, mm -hmm. before they, within a few years, they're on polypharmacy lots of different drugs and that is just a re I mean there's just a multitude of things that can go wrong so we're currently sitting in this generation with people that are dying between 8 to 25 years younger than they should from preventable lifestyle issues because those drugs also increase cardiovascular issues and neurological issues and all that kind of stuff so we've got this increasing from young kids on drugs and challenging the body's systems and going into adulthood with these lifestyle diseases and it's not been spoken about. I mean, really, the research shows, and I put it in the book, I've got this in the book, these studies, that people are, um, that this generation, for example, the Gen Z will be dying up to 25 years younger than they should if we don't change this drug policy and the way we manage in mind. And Wow. I mean, 20, I mean, I used to go and give lectures in schools uh, years ago. I would talk about mind and mental health and context and what happened, and that was all totally normal. Now, if I go into school and talk, especially in the last five years, um, they'll say, oh, but what about the DSM? What about a diagnosis? What about drugs? So there's, there's a, this generation is, is thinking that they're diseased if they have an emotional issue, which you're not. You're just being a human. And drugs are not going to fix it. We have yeah. to manage it. Yeah, and I definitely agree that it's just numbing. Um, there's a kid in my family that 
got kicked out of two different schools as a, as a young toddler, you know, preschools got kicked out of two because of such behavioral issues. The teachers would go home crying because he was such a difficult child to care for. And the schools were blamed instead of trying to deal with the behavioral issues. And so then they put him on medication and switched him into a different school. And they were like, see, it was the school. It was a school. He doesn't have any issues at this school, but really it's because he's medicated now. And the sad thing is they've tried to take him off twice. He's only 10. They've tried to take him off twice. And both times he got in so much trouble because he has so many behavioral issues and um, that they put him right back on. And the thing is, is nothing is being changed about the lifestyle. There's no added connection. There's no um, elimination of the sugar, the screen time. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's been heartbreaking for me to watch, but, you know, to, to try to talk to another parent about their parenting is it's, it's very, uh, it's a very hard topic because it's very triggering for people. And it sounds like you're calling them a bad parent when really you're just caring for the child, but it, it just, it breaks my heart because I, I, I know that it also depletes serotonin and dopamine. And it may be very likely when they take him off this, that he's going to need an antidepressant or he's just going to have low self-esteem who, who knows, but I, I am, I try not to manifest that, but I still, my heart hurts for children that are put on medication. They're going to tell him he needs that. What he needs is to be tapered off and put on two lifestyle management plans and to be helped with emotion dealing with the emotions because there's a reason why that happened to you in the first place. Something could have happened that the parents didn't even know about. As we know, most of the time, for example, a rape happens with a family member, you know, or someone that you know in the family. So that, you know, that child could have been abused in some way very young. And that is so often the behavioral problems when you track those back in, in the, the majority of cases, it's some sort of abuse that has happened mm. at a very young age and manifests in that level of, and then sometimes there's physical things that they need to rule out. You know, there could be a brain tumor. There could be, you know, there's so many other routes that they should go before just labeling and drugging, but they're not. This is the go-to. And this is what, you know, drives me crazy because that child, they could have gone through all those different routes first and it's not too late. It's never too late. But the easiest is medication. Exactly. And the medication yeah. becomes polymedication, polypharmacy and, you know, that's, that child's going to go into adulthood and be one of those, hopefully one of the survivors that will come off. But, you know, that there's just the damage and lost years that are unnecessary. But as you say, you can't tell someone else. You just hope that they maybe will listen to this podcast or something. And yeah. Look at, look at another route. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it gets me stirred up. <laughs> um, so I have two more questions that I wanted to fit in. If maybe we can try to, um, sure, yeah, if the interview coming up, so that'll be fine. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We can, we can try to um, summarize the answers. So um, I know we just brought up ADD, ADHD when it comes to OCD, I just wanted maybe a, um, a quick tangible, if possible uh, solution from you about how to avoid getting in that, like, OCD thinking pattern. Okay, so OCD um, is once again a symptom. Um, it's not a disease, and it's not that your brain is stuck. It's that you've developed it as it's a 
symptom that is also has has come as part of a coping mechanism. So OCD can fall under one of the uh, it's it's a freeze. It's basically a freeze trauma response because you you get you get stuck in a in a in a in a loop. So mm. it's so from the freeze you go from the freeze trauma response to the OCD as a signal, and then that OCD you have to con you have to deliberately and consciously work out. Okay, so this is what I'm doing. Let me analyze from the what I'm doing to the emotion to the symptom in my body and to the perspective and link those. And then from there, I can then go and do the neurocycling to try and find out what the root is. Because there's always a root of, uh, for, for anything. And OCD is one of those um, loops that's been set up to cope, like an addictions and all, all of those symptoms. They're all being done to cope. And they all fall under one of those trauma responses. So mm -hmm. then it's going to take, so that's that's how I would recommend is to go through it. That way it's very helpful to view it the way I've just described as opposed to a brain disease that you can't control, that your, your amygdala has now, is wired like that. The guy who did the research on the amygdala never ever said that the amygdala drives fear. The the researcher, the amygdala is simply a, 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 an emotional library. It stores perceptions. And it only does what your mind tells it to do. And when you've wired something in and it's a wired and it's very established, that's what you revert to. It's not that it's part of your reptilian brain or whatever. It's, it's, it's happened and it's been practiced and it's become, so you've got to unwire it. And that's what takes the time. And one of the things we can do with some sort of a trauma, adverse circumstance is um, as a coping mechanism is OCD, which is a, a freeze trauma response. So that help, I think can help people unpack that concept and then yeah. you go through we've had a lot of people very successfully going through the 63 day cycles to find out okay i'm doing that because of yeah okay. doing that because of and it doesn't matter how many times i've had patients that have taken two years which is 14 cycles to find reasons but that's okay mm -hmm. you need to work in each step yeah. and it makes so much sense that it's a freeze response that may that it makes complete sense and so You've talked before about something called shock absorbing, which I know is um, basically like feeling like you need to smooth smooth things over all the time and keep the peace, avoid conflict. And so I see that side, but I've, I've also um, heard you talk about how unresolved arguments can be harmful to our health and our, you know, potentially decrease our longevity. And so um, maybe the shortest way to discuss this is to talk about uh, so we know it's important to resolve arguments. Maybe we can talk about how to become a responder and not a reactor because that is a way to resolve arguments. Absolutely. So, um, yes, quite correctly, shock absorbing is one of the ways it's a form response, shock absorbing, because you, you, you're basically going to kind of use things like people pleasing or glossing over the subject or not talking about something just, just to keep the peace. And it's a temporary relief, but then you actually – um, not dealing with the stuff so that leads right. to a toxic buildup and then it leads to tremendous frustration internally frustration which turns inwards and becomes whatever mm -hmm. uh, and explodes in other ways and that kind of thing so and that can then then you can react you can take that situation and then we, we, we people that really that you're comfortable with you can like shout at them or get mad at them and it's mm -hmm. not them you're mad at but you become overreactive in those situations because you become underreactive as a as a shock absorber in another situation mm -hmm. so it's going to come out somewhere so this the seesaw effect is going to it's a volcanic in nature it's going to explode somewhere so shock absorbing once again is going to be is, is, a, is a trauma response it's a signal to you that you are in um in a in a fawn 
trauma response and you need to go through the work of finding out why so that you can unwire it and it's going to take you at least 63 days so okay. there's a short answer to that there's working that out so um and in becoming a responder reactor is when we that emotional blue remember i said think feel mm -hmm. choose um think feel choose feel is our emotions so when i think i'm analyzing this i'm getting the data when i feel i'm getting all the um, emotions around the data and when i choose i'm taking the the data and the emotions and i'm making a choice and i'm you do that in cycles and they build cycles build up a little bit it's like constant um and this is this is the glue that's why i use this by these two fingers because it's the longest finger and emotions are that glue so therefore if i'm going to have toxic emotions this response is going to be too quick and so i have to learn to get this under control especially if it's toxic and when we in this state the example of of becoming a shock absorber i mean sorry a responder versus a reactor is that when these emotions dominate we say and do things that we would never do so for example if i created a scenario for you and said if, if this and this and this happened what would you do would you do this or would you do that and you'd say oh i would never do that i would do this then you in the situation and you do the very thing that you said you would not do and that is because in that moment the emotions were this thing was like overriding and dominating so you fell into the wrong choice and you reacted so what we want to do is always try to get balance between these three we want to have them not just stuck and glued onto here we want them to be analyzing so that i can think about that emotion and i can feel about that emotion and i can control that process and then that and over time once again it's the cycles of 63 days that helps you to do that yeah thank you Thank you so much. So um, I end every show with a quick lightning round. It's one one answer um, or one sentence answers really quick. The first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? I'd say you, you can do something that no one else can do. Mm, I love that. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a really hard one. I'm going to say this because this is going to help you clean up your mental mess. I mean, that really is. If our minds are messed up as a world, we are messed that if we can get all of us to become human again, we're going to be connecting with each other in the way that we should. Mm, beautiful. And if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? You can't change what's happening to you, but you can change what's in you. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Lastly, how can people connect with you and your work and uh, purchase the book that you've talked about? You can get the book anywhere where books are sold. It's called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. My Instagram handle is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and my, all my social media handles, webpage drleaf.com. My podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. App's called Neurocycle. It's on Google and iTunes. And from, the, from Instagram, though, you can get to everything. So it's the easiest route. Dr. Caroline mm -hmm. Leaf. Thank you so much. I am so thankful for your work. It feels very, very empowering because it it does feel like we can change our trauma and, and how it's affected us. And it also you talked about how healing the brain is is partly more knowledge. And so it's you're like double healing the brain by putting out more knowledge, but knowledge about how to heal the brain. So I'm really, really thankful for what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, you guys, that was so much information on the brain that my brain is actually hurting. Um, I think I tried to squeeze too much in to this interview because uh, I just had so many questions because she is just such a like powerhouse of knowledge when it comes to the brain. And I'm really um, intrigued about the ADHD, ADD part and how the medication affects our brain, how it's um, 
usually trauma related and or lifestyle related. And I hope that that part didn't come off shaming in any way to that diagnosis because um, that was not my intention at all. My intention is to um, help those with that diagnosis feel more empowered that they that they can um, free themselves of uh, the symptoms if they would like to and also find solutions outside of medication so that they don't have to be on that for the rest of their lives. Um, so I hope that that was what you felt there. Um, her she has a podcast as well. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf does. And <clears throat> I was going to tell you about four episodes that I really enjoyed uh, really quickly. One was about how life is not an either this or that game. It's an and game, which means that it is normal to hold two or more opposing ideas or feelings in your head at the same time, even in your relationships. And accepting this will save you a lot of mental distress. So that's one podcast that I recommend. Another one is uh, perfect uh, for how I'm always talking about being a light on this show. It's a podcast about the neuroscience of kindness and the impact kindness has on your mind, brain, and body and how to use mind management to be more kind to improve your mental and physical health. So that's the second one. The third one is the surprising reasons why you may not be sleeping well and how to use mind management, the neurocycle, to improve your sleep and mental health. And the last one is that about trauma bonds, the trauma bonds are chains that link a victim to someone who is dangerous to them within the confines of an exploitive relationship, divorce, divorce, employee relations, child abuse, family and marital systems, domestic violence, kidnapping, exploitation, and religious abuse can all be areas of trauma bonding. All these relationships share one thing. They are situations of incredible intensity or importance where there is an exploitation of trust or power. So those four episodes are amazing. The thing I also love about her episodes is they're about 15 minutes long. So I don't know if you noticed every question I asked her, she had like a 15 minute answer. I think that's because that's the format she's used to teaching on these topics in her podcast. And so you basically just heard through this episode with me like six of her podcast episodes um, because each of those topics is like a mini is basically what her podcast is. It's a, it's a little mini 15 minute episode. So, um, so yeah, it, it might be, you know, like this was a lot of information to take in. You just really helped your brain uh, heal and grow. Um, but uh if you were to listen to some of hers, it would just be one of those topics at a time, which which may be really uh, a lot easier to digest. Um, but I hope this felt empowering to you. It definitely felt empowering to me. Uh, I'm definitely going to get her new book and start implementing her, her NeuroCycle. I'm going to get the app and start using it with my children. I've uh, recently joined the MindLight Institute for training uh, in tapping. And I know she brought up that a few times. So I definitely am excited to be, um, actually a, like becoming a specialist, uh, and like a trained, um, a trained coach in one of these areas. So, yeah, so I'll be sharing more of that journey with you guys in the future. And I just want to thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. 
as always, be a light, stay open, stay open, and remember, you belong here. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.